You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Girls are capable of doing everything men are capable of doing. And sometimes they have more imagination. Katherine Johnson, NASA mathematician. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Welcome, 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 my friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And today is a Women's History Day. And who doesn't love a good Women's History Day? I know I do. The only thing better than a regular Women's History Day is a Women in STEM History Day. And if you're not familiar with the term STEM, that means science, technology, engineering, and math. So today, we are talking about the real-life women behind the movie and the book, Hidden Figures. The ladies who helped man walk on the moon, send a man into orbit for the first time, and do all sorts of other cool space things for the first time. We are talking about the human computers of NACA and NASA. So without further ado, grab your spacesuit and make sure you pee because who wants to pee in a spacesuit? And let's get to it. My dear friend, I don't know if you will believe this, but there was a time in the world where we did not have computers, let alone a small device that fits in your pocket that allows a woman's disembodied voice to tell you about things. That's me. I'm the disembodied voice. But it's true. There was a time in human history where we didn't have computers. And even when there were computers in their various stages of being invented and improving, they weren't the most useful. So a job was created called the human computer. And human people would compute huge numbers and all sorts of computations that I don't necessarily understand, but I will do my best to explain. At the beginning, their job was basically to compile 18th and 19th century Western European mathematical tables, which is a mouthful to say. They did things like computing trigonometry and logarithms, all of the things that make high school TK cringe and panic sweat. They were also used to compute predictions for stuff like the weather and trajectory and weapons things and other science stuff because science stops for no one, computer or not. NASA began using human computers for their various computing needs in 1939 when Barbara Canwright, aka Barbie, joined California's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. In her job, she was 
supposed to calculate anything from how many rockets were needed to make a plane airborne to what kind of rocket propellants were needed to get a spacecraft up into space. And from there, human computers grew and set up shop in the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Virginia. NACA, or the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, as NASA was previously called, hired five women in 1935 to be part of their first computer pool at the Langley Research Center. All of this stuff was done by hand with an offensive amount of paper and pencil and who knows how many erasers. If it was me, I would use at least 10 erasers every day. But today we're not talking about Barbie or any of the people that would have been in her department, nay nay. Today, we are talking about the West Area Computers, NACA and NASA's all-black team. They were established in 1943 as a response to the growing demand for human computers because of Pearl Harbor. There was a need for more calculations for more military stuff. They did the exact same job as their white counterparts, but they had to be separated due to segregation laws and they were paid way less. And that's why a whole different unit was created for them. However, even though they were separated and they were paid way less, they were in charge of some of the most important aspects of NACA and later NASA's calculations department in all sorts of areas, which we'll talk about more a little bit later. And if you will allow me a small digression, I came across this while researching and I just need to tell you because I feel righteous anger. So I was sitting here thinking to myself, why were there so many women human computers? And then I dug a little more deeply and I found the reason. So men computers were a thing. They were hired, but not as much because they were more expensive because apparently a penis makes you able to have more money. I, I don't understand. They were considered to be, and I hate this word, skilled professionals. The men were considered skilled professionals. Heavy, heavy air quotes, because what, what, what does that mean? And the women who were hired were sub, sub professionals for doing the exact same job. The exact same job. Breathe deeply, my friend, because I I also forgot to breathe while I was reading that, doing my research. But wait, it gets worse. So the status of, quote, skilled professional allowed newly hired men computers to be paid $2,600 annually, which in today's money would be about $39,000 a year while newly hired women computers began at $1,440 annually, which would only be about $22,000 in today's money. $22,000 annually. That is a huge gap for doing the same job due to their sub-professional title. One more deep breath, breathe in. Release. I know. I know. I feel your righteous anger, dear one. I feel it. Now, 
back to our story because it does get better. Back in 1946, the Langley Research Center hired about 400 female human computers with a large number of them being the black women in the West Area Computers Unit. All of them were incredible mathematicians and three of those women will be our topic of discussion for today. The movie Hidden Figures focuses on three women, Mary Jackson, Dorothy Vaughn, and Katherine Johnson. Honestly, these ladies could have a dedicated podcast episode each. And if you are interested in that, friend, I can do that for you. I would like to tell you about Mary and Dorothy first. Dorothy was a former teacher, and I'm a teacher now, so let's start with her, teacher to teacher. Dorothy Vaughn is often looked over when it comes to remembering the women of NACA and NASA. But her role was impactful nonetheless. Dorothy was born on September 21st, 1910 in Kansas City, Missouri. And luckily for her, the Wizard of Oz had not yet been created. So no one could make fun of her for being named Dorothy and being born in Kansas City. Unlike some people that I know who had the unfortunate luck of being in a post-Wizard of Oz world and being born in Kansas. Cough, cough, me. I am that person I was made fun of for being born in Kansas. Anyways, I digress. Dorothy was a smart little cookie since day one, and she graduated as the high school valedictorian in 1925. She went to university and graduated with a BA in mathematics, and she was encouraged by her professor to teach at Harvard. He was like, girl, you are so good, you could go be a professor at Harvard, but she declined and she taught high school instead to help her family during the Great Depression. But at the age of 28, her incredible intelligence got her noticed, and she was recruited by the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in 1943. World War II was raging, and the demand was high for people with her skills. Initially, it was a temporary job, like a war job, you know, those Rosie the Riveter-esque jobs where the women would go to work, do their thing while the men were off at war, and then when the men came back, they were expected to go back home. But she kicked so much ass at this job that they hired her on full-time. And thanks in part to a new executive order that prohibited discrimination in the defense industry, she became a full-time employee at NACA. NACA also had like a shit ton of data to process after the war, so they needed as many intelligent, capable people as they could possibly get. So Dorothy started working at NACA when it was NACA, and then when it became NASA in 1958, her job as a human computer started to change. No longer was Dorothy using pencil and paper as much anymore, but she started using actual electronic computers. And she became an expert programmer in a computer language called Fortran, which was like the computer language during that time. And oh, by the way, she taught herself how to use that computer language. She also contributed to a satellite launching rocket called the Scout. And in 1949, she became the first NACA black supervisor. Not the first woman one, the first black supervisor in all of NACA. 
And this was where she made a huge impact on the lives of hundreds of black women mathematicians and other sciencey ladies working at NASA. As a supervisor, she did her best to work beyond the constraints of segregation and gender norms and tried to do her best to promote the other women computers into different areas and get them more training. After she retired in 1971, she was asked about working within those constraints and how she felt about it. And she said, I changed what I could and what I couldn't, I endured. It is without doubt that Dorothy Vaughn is one of the giants whose shoulders we stand upon. Our next NASA baddie is none other than Mary Jackson, who was also a teacher. She was born Mary Winston on April 9th, 2000. (laughs) I almost said 2021. (laughs) She's a year old. (laughs) She was born on April 9th, 1921 in Hampton, Virginia. She always loved science and learning and she just sucked up all the knowledge and information that she could. She was also crazy nice. She was just as committed to science as she was to improving the lives of the people around her. One of my favorite little side stories about Mary is that in the 1970s, she helped kids in the science club at a community center in Hampton build their own wind tunnel and use it to conduct experiments. And she did all sorts of different science community service things, which I just absolutely love about her. When asked by a local newspaper why she did this kind of community service, she said, we have to do something like this to get them interested in science. Sometimes they are not aware of the number of black scientists and don't even know of the career opportunities until it's too late. And that, that is the kind of teachers we need in this world today, friend. Mary didn't really have a direct path to engineering or working in NACA at all. She graduated university with a degree in mathematics, taught for a year, came back home, hopped around a few jobs like bookkeeping and being a secretary, and also was a stay-at-home mom after the birth of her first son. But eventually, in 1951, she found her way to NACA and the West Area Unit of Computers. She was a freaking rock star there. And after being a computer for only two years, she was recruited by the engineer Kazmir Czekranecki. Oh my goodness, I tried my darndest to find a pronunciation of his name, and that is the closest that I could get. His name is spelled like K-A-Z-I-M-I-E-R-Z, and his last name is C-Z-A-R-N-E-C-K-I. We're going to call him Casey for short, but I just want you to know he's a very famous scientist, but I cannot pronounce his name. So anyways, Casey recruited her to do some specialized cool shit. She started working with a four foot by four foot supersonic pressure tunnel that had a 60,000 horsepower wind thing inside of it that was able to blast models with wind that was twice the speed of sound, which my mind cannot compute. I just can't wrap my head around a basically a closet that could blast you into oblivion if you stepped inside of it. 
It was amazing. She did all sorts of experiments with it. And she worked her smart ass off. And eventually, KC suggested that she enter a training program that would allow her to earn a promotion and go from mathematician to engineer, which is a huge freaking deal because NACA had never had a black woman engineer before. But here's the thing. The only class that was available was an all-white class because, of course, this is during segregation. So she had to go and get special permission. She, I'm sorry, it wasn't her that had to go get special permission. She had to ask KC to go get the special permission for her from the freaking city of Hampton, Virginia. She couldn't do it by herself. She had to have help, but she got it. And she went to the class and crushed it. She graduated, she earned the promotion, and in 1958, she became NASA's first black female engineer. And for 20 years, she conducted research, wrote and co-authored several papers, did a bunch of cool sciencey stuff, and continued to get promotions after promotions. But as the years went on, it became more difficult to get promoted even though she was more qualified than other candidates and had more experience and or seniority. But she had run up against that giant asshole in the sky, the freaking glass ceiling. And if you have ever come up against that transparent menace to humankind, you know how frustrating it is. After another promotion was rejected in 1979, Mary was like, F this! It is time to do something about it. And in a dramatic career change, Mary retired as an engineer and became the manager of Langley's Federal Women's Program, where she helped other women in NASA. While working there, she helped the next generation of scientists, mathematicians, and engineers grow their careers. She advocated for them, got them classes and education and training to make them as qualified as possible. She gave them career training and advice, and in doing doing so, smashed the ever-living shit out of the glass ceiling over NASA. Mary retired in 1985, but never stopped helping people. She had an open-door policy to all newly hired Langley recruits, because... For Mary, science and service went hand in hand. This episode is sponsored by InBooze, the at-home cocktail infusion kit. If I've learned one thing while being stuck at home, it's that I am not very good at making cocktails, which is really unfortunate because I absolutely love them. And if you are facing the same dilemma as I am, InBoo's Cocktail Infusions has your back. All you have to do is pick a kit and pour in your alcohol of choice. Wait for it to infuse and enjoy. You can choose from classics like a Moscow Mule or a Hot Toddy, or get a little fancy with a berry lavender lemonade. InBoo's is a woman-owned business that locally sources its ingredients. With 16 different cocktail options, there is something for everyone. So whether you're wanting to up your at-home bartending game or want to get a little fancy for a party, InBoo's infusion kits are the way to go. 
You can find their whole cocktail collection on inbooze.com or check the show notes for links to their online store. Thank you so much to InBooze for sponsoring this episode. They asked Catherine for the moon, and she gave it to them. I came across that quote when researching Katherine Johnson, and I think it is the thing that best sums up her career as a NASA mathematician. But before I get ahead of myself, let's start at the beginning. Catherine was born on August 26, 1918, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, which is the day after my birthday, which is really, really cool, of course, I was not born in 1918, you silly little goose. I was born in 1992, but still, I feel it's it's a great birthday to have. So from a young age, Catherine showed an incredible talent for math. Her father saw this talent and decided to give his daughter the best chance possible and moved the entire family to Institute West Virginia, which was 125 miles away from their family home. He did this because the local black school, the only one that was in White Sulphur Springs, only went up until 8th grade, so his kids wouldn't be able to learn anything past an 8th grade level, and this was just unacceptable to him. So he moved his family to Institute West Virginia during the school year, and he would stay back in White Sulphur Springs to work and earn money for them. So for 14 years, him and his family went back and forth between White Sulphur Springs and Institute West Virginia. This is what Catherine did for 14 years, and it could have been longer, but she graduated high school. She graduated from West Virginia State High School at the age of 14 because she just whizzed through all the classes and soaked up the information like a freaking sponge. After she graduated at the age of 14, she attended the West Virginia State University where she received her bachelor's in science, uh, I'm sorry, her bachelor degree in French and mathematics mathematics in 1932 and my dear friend we have to pause here for a second for something super super cool so she was taught by dr ww shefflin clater who was the third black person to earn a phd in mathematics right so when Catherine went to uh west virginia state university that was where he taught And he created a special course in analytic geometry specifically for Catherine, which would be like super helpful in her future career at NACA and NASA. But how freaking cool is that? She she got a class made specifically for her. I love it. Oh, I just had to throw that in. So Catherine's journey to NACA was also not super straightforward. She went to several universities to study and had been selected twice to be one of the first black students to integrate into a university. She also briefly left school to start a family. But in 1953, at the age of 35, she heard from a family member that there was a job opening at NACA for human computers. She rushed for the opportunity and immediately got the job. 
After just two weeks into her new job, she was borrowed by the Flight Research Division, where she was the only black staff member. While she was there, she helped calculate the aerodynamic forces on airplanes, which, how do you do that? How does one calculate aerodynamic forces on airplanes? That is amazing. That is incredible. It is fantastic that people in this world can do that. It's amazing. So from this super amazing aerodynamic forces calculations, it was made super duper clear that Catherine was no ordinary computer. She was an invaluable asset to NACA as a whole. She spent the next four years analyzing data from flight tests and worked on the investigation of a plane crash caused by turbulence and other various calculations for trajectory. In the late 1950s, her husband became very ill and having to choose between her family and career, Catherine began wrapping up her work at NACA. Unfortunately, her husband would pass away in 1956 from cancer. She was planning to leave NACA altogether, but fate would have other plans for her. The Soviet Union had been working on sending a ship to space and succeeded on October 4th, 1957, when there was a successful launch of Sputnik. The successful launch of Sputnik would change the course of history and Catherine's entire life. She couldn't leave. She was too important, and NACA, soon to be NASA, knew it. There was immense pressure put on NASA to get a man into space. This was the sole goal of the majority of the organization in the early 60s. And Kathy Cat's job became arguably the most important piece in the space race puzzle. It was the responsibility of the flight research division to do the most important calculations like trajectory, aka where the space dude went into space and came back from space. In an interview with the Associated Press, Catherine said, our assignment was the trajectory. As NASA got ready to put someone in space, they needed to know what the launch conditions were, and it was our assignment to develop the launch window and determine where it was going to land. She was often heard saying, just tell me where you need to go and I'll get it there. She worked tirelessly, often putting in 16 hours a day while being a single mom to three girls. She even once fell asleep at the wheel of her car, but woke up safely, thank goodness, at the side of the road. But she loved every single day of it and said there wasn't one day when I didn't wake up excited to go to work. After years of work, the time finally came when John Glenn would go into orbit. But by this time, IBM and NASA had been developing a bunch of computer systems to do the launch. But John was not down with this. He didn't trust the machines as much as he did Catherine. He wanted her to check the numbers herself and famously said, get the girl to run the numbers, the girl being Catherine. And if she says they're good, I'm ready to go. And they were good. And the flight was a success. And Catherine secured the United States position as the winners of the space race. But this would be by no means her only crowning achievement. 
She calculated trajectories for several missions and created calculations that helped sync the Apollo 11 lunar lander with the Moon Orbiting Command and the service model to get the astronauts back to Earth. She gave NASA the moon. But she didn't stop there. She did calculations for the Apollo 13 mission and helped develop the space shuttle program and Earth's resources satellite, which is a satellite that helps um, environmental research, and it's still in service today. After one of the most influential careers of all time, Catherine retired from NASA in 1986, but continued to write papers and do research. In 2015, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is America's highest civilian award. Catherine Johnson passed away only two years ago at the age of 101 on February 24th, 2020. And I'll leave you with one of my most favorite Katherine Johnson quotes. I don't have a feeling of inferiority. Never have. I'm as good as anybody, but not better. We have come to our final thought, my friend. And this one makes my heart so happy. So, Katherine Johnson, the math goddess that we were just talking about, She unfortunately passed away two years ago, but in a weird, beautiful turn of serendipity, she was able to see the movie Hidden Figures, you know, the one about her and her colleagues. On December 1st, 2016, Catherine attended a special screening of Hidden Figures hosted by NASA at the Virginia Air and Space Center, and she totally liked it. She was a huge fan. And in the years after seeing the film, she was often heard saying, go see Hidden Figures and take a young person. It will give a more positive outlook on what is possible if you work hard and do your best and are prepared. Which, I don't know why this gives me goosebumps, but it does, and I love it so much. And I've never done this before, but I'm going to use my teacher power, my second grade teacher power, to give you a little bit of homework, my friend. So your homework is to watch Hidden Figures with a young person or by yourself if there is no young person available or you. Maybe you are the young person, my friend. And then send me a message on Instagram so I know you finished your assignment and let me know how you felt about Hidden Figures and the women that changed the science world forever. Thank you so much for joining me today, friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode half as much as I enjoyed telling you about it. And I wanted to say a special thank you because without you, I wouldn't have opportunities for sponsorships like we've had, we've luckily had in this episode. So if you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, please tell a friend, tell anybody about this episode or any other For the Love of History episode that you think they'd be interested in. You can leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform like Good Pods, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. Or you could just send me a message letting me know how you felt about this episode because it makes my day. It literally makes my day to hear from you and know what you thought about this episode or anything. Just talk to me about some history stuff. We're history BFFs after all. You can also donate on Patreon or Good Pods, and links to those are in the show notes. 
I hope you have a wonderful day. And this week is the week that you need to have. Drink your water, be kind to yourself, and I will see you next week when we talk about the terrifying empress of Ethiopia. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>